Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back. It's Saturday, November 21st, and you're listening to Back Chat, where we bring down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we broadcast and pay our respects to elders past, present and future. I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Chantelle Alkuri. First up, we have CEO of Women's Safety New South Wales, Hayley Foster, giving us a rundown on the new domestic abuse laws passed down in New South Wales this week. After that, we chat to founder and CEO of Oxford Art Factory, Mark Gerber, on how thousands of music venues are threatened to close down and what that will mean for your favourite local artists. But as always, we want to hear from you. Have you been to any live shows recently? And which venues did you go to? Let us know by texting 0409 945 945 or you can tweet us at BackchatFBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. This Wednesday, here in New South Wales, several domestic abuse reforms were passed, including the ban of survivors being cross-examined by their abusers. To explain the changes and what they will mean for survivors, we're joined by CEO of Women's Safety New South Wales, Hayley Foster, whose organisation was advocating for the reforms. Just a heads up to our listeners, there will be talk of domestic abuse in this interview. Hayley, thanks for joining us. I am. Sorry, I can only hear one of you. But um, Oh, no. Um, well, um, great to have you with us. Uh, just to start, could you give us a brief rundown on the reforms that passed this week? Absolutely. Well, um, I guess it's good to start with what's happening right now. And at the moment, domestic abuse victims have to give evidence in open court, like in front of their abuser, the abuser's family and friends, or anyone who's there to see um, maybe people who are there for drug matters or traffic matters. Um, and it's really um, quite intimidating. Um, and, and, you know, people want some privacy when they're going through these, these very traumatic times as well. Um, it also, you could, um, in the court, uh, they play uh, what's called a DVET, which is the Domestic Violence Evidence in Chief. It's that recording that uh, police make when they come out to a domestic violence incident. And it can be really stress- like distressing to see that played back and have everyone there to see it. Um, so... Um, the new laws, um, oh, I guess the other thing I should say is that um, abuse victims can also be currently cross-examined by their abuser, like directly by them in court, um, if their abuser uh, doesn't have representation. So um, that, of course, is like, understandably extremely um, traumatic for uh, domestic abuse victims, and it also gives an abuser an opportunity to keep, um, I guess, perpetrating that abuse. Uh, so what these new laws that were passed this week um, will do is that they will give an entitlement to domestic abuse victims to actually give evidence in close court um, or remotely by audiovisual links so they don't actually even have to be in the same room as their abuser. Um, and those ones will be signed off by the governor next week um, and will apply straight away. Um, one of the things that we're really excited about as well, though, is that we managed to push the government at the last minute to ban domestic abuse victims from cross-examining their victims um, in court. So, um, you know, this will be undertaken by a person appointed by the court uh, or through the use of technology now. Um, These laws, because we kind of caught the government on a bit of a hop here, so these laws will um, likely only come in, well, they will come in sometime before September next year, but the government needs some time to work out how that's going to how that's going to go. So we're pretty thrilled about that. 
Um, there's also some animal abuse um, uh, reforms as well. Did you want me to run through some of that now? Or do you have any questions about the other... We will definitely get to that, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, but given the importance of the reforms, why do you think it hasn't been passed? Um, or why do you think they hadn't been passed um, earlier? Yeah, look, it's it's really... It's because of the history. Like, the court system has been set up, um, you know, in a fairly patriarchal kind of um, environment. It's come from the from um, England way back when. Um, and the, the focus has always really been on the rights of the accused, which is very important. Um, but unfortunately, because the domestic abuse victims don't actually have standing in their own cases, it, it tends to be the police prosecutor that brings that matter. And the victim's really um, only there as a witness. Um, to give evidence and so often the the victim doesn't there hasn't been a lot of consideration about their rights or what they're going through um, so yeah I guess it's like that movement from thinking that these things are you know behind closed doors that man is man of his castle and all that sort of thing like um, you know and now we're kind of you know moving away from that and saying hey abuse is abuse and violence is violence and um, a crime um, is a crime whether it's behind closed doors or in the street. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio. We're speaking with CEO Haley Foster on this week's domestic abuse reforms in court and future changes that she's involved in. Haley, this week we saw Greens MP Abigail Boyd introduce a bill about criminalising coercive control, which your organisation was involved in. So what is coercive control and how will criminalising it impact survivors? Yeah, look, coercive control is like the centre, it's like the core of domestic abuse, really. Um, and it's where an abuser uses like a range of behaviours and tactics over time um, to exert, like to exert control and maintain control over their victim. Um, it can look like a range of different things. It can be like, um, you know, cutting them off from friends or family, um, monitoring their everyday movements and, and tracking where they're going, um, you know, putting them down like a lot of emotional abuse and gaslighting um, and you know so as well as kind of physical assaults and sexual assaults and that sort of thing as well but they're all behaviours that are designed to uh, exert that control and to dominate their victim uh, so you yeah, know it's, it's absolutely the core we know that um, coercive control is the biggest precursor to domestic homicide uh, in you know that, that, that was found by the death review teams in, in, in New South Wales. So what are the next steps then in the process of making this coercive control bill a reality? Well, look, um, it's the, the bill that was put forward before Parliament this week, which was really exciting, um, exciting to be there, um, is a really well-drafted bill. Uh, but the Attorney General and Minister for Prevention of uh, Domestic Violence, Mark Speakman, has already, um, in the wake of our campaign, he's already announced um, a review into these laws and he's also established a parliamentary um, committee to, to look at that and that will take place over the next six months. Uh, so this this bill itself, you know, the Greens MP, um, Abigail Boyd, that's put it forward, is only talk, calling about, you know, asking for it to be made into law within a year. Um, there's going to be a review process, so anybody that wants to have a say can jump on the New South Wales website and have, have their say in this inquiry. Um, but the main things that we need to uh, think about is that it's not just about changing the law. Changing the law is really important, so um, victims, survivors of abuse can actually uh, rely upon the law for their safety and protection, uh, because at the moment police 
um, can't really do anything. The hands are tied behind their back uh, with those types of abuse. If there's financial abuse, psychological abuse, police can't really do anything. So we do need to change the law, but we also need to make sure that we accompany that law, like law change with procedural change, with changes like to train the police and the police prosecutors and the judicial officers and everyone involved in the system needs that training and that understanding. And we also need to put in place some guidelines and accountability to make sure it's operating as we're intending. So it's, it's a big reform piece, um, but we think it's the absolute next best step um, to really tackling this crisis. So as you mentioned, Haley, these changes are obviously part of a larger discussion surrounding domestic abuse. What further steps would you like to see in New South Wales? Yeah, look, um, we, we've seen these... Uh, we're really excited about these reforms this week, actually, because we've been advocating for them for a really long time. Um, and I should also mention the animal abuse um, reforms that came through. Uh, so we know this is a major problem. Like, 80% of our workers across New South Wales reported animal abuse um, to be often an issue for their clients. And 78% said that a client will delay leaving a dangerous environment um, because of the fear of their pets. Um, you know, being harmed. So it's a major issue. So we're really glad to have seen animal abuse now recognised um, in all apprehended violence orders, protection orders, and also recognised as an as an offence itself under intimidation to, to harm an animal uh, or, or and threaten an animal. So we're pleased to see those two. I guess in terms of what's next, we, we still nearly ne- really need to see, see some reforms of the courts. We need to see specialisation of magistrates hearing matters because... Magistrates at the moment uh, are variable in their ability um, and their knowledge base and their sensitivity. And so um, it really can depend upon which magistrate you have your matter heard by. So um, we really need to see a specialisation of magistrates so that we can have reliable access to protection and justice. Um, And we also need to make sure that um, survivors are supported through the actual hearing of their case because at the moment there's only funded support for that first mention, that first day. Um, And we know that the hearing themselves are really quite, it's quite traumatic. Um, But I think the really big ticket item is going to be criminalising coercive control because we'll finally have a law that reflects the realities of domestic abuse um, and enables um, people to reach out and, you know, seek help earlier. Um, So I think that that's the really big ticket item to watch out for next year. Hayley, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and thank you so much for all of the work you do. Thanks so much for having us. That was Hayley Foster discussing this week's domestic abuse reforms. She's the CEO of Women's Safety New South Wales. Uh, If you or anyone you know needs help or advice, contact 1800RESPECT or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Stay tuned because after the break, you'll hear how 85% of the state's live music venues may close down in the next 12 months and what you can do to help. That's up next, but first, a song named after exactly what you're craving right now. This is Calamari by Sydney artist Roy Boy. Language warning. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Ah, the glow of a mosh pit. Sweat, ringing ears, slight dehydration. Uh, But it's all worth it when you get to lock eyes with your favourite band. So, Chantel, what's your favourite live gig? 
Actually, like a week before lockdown started, I saw Ari Lennox at Max Watts Arena. Really? Not sure if that was a good idea, but it was an amazing show and I've missed live shows ever since. Oh, that's incredible. I know, right? There's nothing like seeing your favourite artist play in person, just the energy of that room. But with lockdown laws and bushfire season and then COVID lockdowns, uh, so many live music spots are struggling to keep their doors open. A survey by Music New South Wales found that 85% of these venues predict their own shutdown in the next year if things do stay the same. To chat about that and the Save Our Stages initiative, we're joined by founder and CEO of Oxford Art Factory, Mark Gerber. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Uh, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me and um, hello to all the listeners. Absolutely. Our live venues have been doing it tough for the past few years. How hard is it for venues to stay open right now? Oh, look, it's incredibly difficult to stay open right now. Um, we're working to a very limited capacity. Oxford Factory is working with 20% at the moment. Um, you know, it's been incredibly tough. We've had to close our doors, obviously, in March at the beginning of the uh, lockdown. Uh, so no, nothing at all. We didn't have a war chest that we could call on because we faced the, lock, the lockout laws for the previous six years. So they pretty much stripped us and took away at least 30 to 40% of our um, income. And, uh, yeah, we were left with nothing. And so we're, we're struggling, but, um, you know, we're hanging in there for the sake of the industry and for the sake of live music and for the sake of the people of New South Wales and Australia. Of course, that sounds really rough. In fact, Frieda's in Chippendale is closing tonight. I know it's an institution here in Sydney. Uh, but if things keep going the way that they are, will this mean that um, live music... What will that mean for the live music scene in New South Wales? Look, it means that venues could face the prospect, the very real prospect of having to close their doors if nothing is hap- done in terms of... Um, assistance and aid coming from the government um we can't get it from the public we can only get so much and we're working with a limited capacity uh we've had to endure months and months of accrued debt we're still accruing debt uh we're not operating anywhere near profit margins um we're well well and truly low profit margins so it means the vast majority 85 percent of the venues that have um, signed on to the campaign, the Save Our Stages New South Wales campaign, faced a very real threat of closure in the next six months. And could you tell us a bit about the Save Our Stages initiatives and what you're, what you're fighting for? Look, the Save Our Stages initiative came together because, um, uh, like I said, uh, the venues have been doing it very tough and it's a very dif- difficult industry to run. It's a very difficult business to run. Uh, there's not a lot of um, profit in it, and the margins are tiny, um, and it's really done for the sake of the love of music and for the sake of the arts, and uh, you know, uh, for, for artists and people to enjoy uh, the the, uh, the fruits of what music brings. Um, I guess we came together because there was a real need for a collective voice uh, prior to the COVID pandemic. I guess. That there wasn't really a unified voice in New South Wales as there is in other states when it comes to venues. So I guess we kind of needed representation that really uh, directly applied to us. And so we came together to form Save Our Stages New South Wales so that we could have a unified voice of venues because venues were obviously facing a very real threat and we still are 
immediately uh, when the lockdown hit, uh, you know, we're the first to go and probably the first to come back, uh, last to come back, sorry. So there was a real need for us to come together. And the, the collective came together and has put a petition together, which was debated in Parliament just recently on Thursday. Um, the outcome of that has been that uh, we have been invited by government to go meet with them. So we look forward to speaking with them and uh, hopefully having productive discussions with them, which could see um, uh, a way through for us to receive funding from them. But specific asks that we've asked for is funding that can be directed to uh, venues uh, in order to safeguard them from demise, to in order to pay their staff, uh, to pay the ongoing costs, uh, to pay the costs that they can't meet at the moment, and to help keep them alive. Uh, we can ill afford to lose any more venues than we already did during the lockout laws. That's, I really hope that does come through. Um, but also, a few months ago, the Berejiklian government announced plans for a 24-hour Sydney. Uh, do you think that will help resolve the situation for you guys? Well, yes. I, I do think it plays into, uh, 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 I guess it plays into the story that live music plays a huge role in the nighttime economy. Uh, we are uh, an incredibly critical uh, infrastructure for lifetime for the nighttime economy. We bring together communities, we bring a lot of people into communities, we bring a lot of business to the surrounding businesses around live music venues. You only have to see what the Oxford Art Factory does to Oxford Street and what the Anmore does to Anmore Road and King Street. So we're critical infrastructures to the nighttime economy and I think it's the timing couldn't be better. So I think it's really in the best interests of the government but also for people of New South Wales that the live music venues are saved and that they're here and they form a big role and they play a big role in the, uh, I guess, the, 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 the coming out of that pandemic and into the recovery. We need to incentivize people to come out to, to be joined together again once it's possible, obviously, and in COVID safe practice always. But, um, listening to Backchat on FBI Radio. We're speaking with founder and CEO of Oxford Art Factory, Mark Gerber, on the future of live music venues and saving our stages. We asked Sydney Musos their thoughts on live music venues closing. Here's what local singer-songwriter Huck Hastings had to say. Hello, my name is Huck Hastings and live music venues are incredibly important to me personally because that's where I get to take any horrible little thing and turn it into something beautiful and share it, share in the human experience with a bunch of other people um, and it helps make those things a little bit easier. So on that note, Australia has produced so many amazing musicians. What role has live music venues played in forming those careers? Oh, look, I think venues probably play one of the most important 
uh, roles in any artist's musician's career um, in that they are the first stepping stone from the bedroom or the garage or the rehearsal rooms into an artist's career. Um, they uh, uh, form the basis of the music industry and the foundation in that we uh, provide a stage and the small stage to the larger stages to the, you know, we're talking from, uh, you know, a stage like Frida's to uh, Oxford Art Factory, the Lansdowne through to the Enmore and the Metro. You know, uh, they're stepping stones to an uh, artist's career, uh, which launches them um, into a career that can take them globally and uh, make them into stars. Uh, Australia is renowned for its per capita uh, uh, numbers in terms of the incredible output that we put out in, uh, in the artistry of music. Um, we uh, export incredibly talented people and we have an incredible talent within our communities in Australia, uh, more than most countries do. So it, it plays a huge role, not only from a, uh, just, uh, um, a creative aspect and from the arts in, in, in general, but I think also economically it needs to be said that music in New South Wales plays a massive role. Um, it pours in almost $4 billion per year, which is nothing to sneeze at. And I think the artists uh, need to be congratulated for that. And I think the music industry needs to be congratulated for that. So from a venue perspective, venues are absolutely integral to the uh, pathways that uh, musicians uh, and their careers need to take in order to um, generate an audience and uh, to be able to build a career for themselves, which can take them to... Uh, you know, international destinations, etc. And the industry employs 23,000 people. So if venues do close, what will this mean for the jobs of so many young people who work in hospitality? Well, I think it will be absolutely devastating for them. And I think it needs to be said that uh, the live music industry uh, is comprised of a lot of professionals, but it's also, when you're talking about the venues, it's also comprised of a lot of casuals. And a lot of those casuals are students, and the students rely on that income in order to, to survive. You know, they, 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 can't afford, they can't work more hours than they already are. So they have to devote uh, and split their time between their studies and doing a few hours a week and working for a venue like the Oxford Art Factory. Most, a lot of our staff are students. Um, to, if the Oxford Art Factory were to disappear, that these students would have to look at other industries uh, to, uh, you know, earn an income. And the thing about the music industry and the live music industry specifically related to venues is that we are flexible. We can, uh, uh, you know, we can employ somebody uh, two nights a week or one night a week. It's, it's very flexible. So if you were to take these 23,000 jobs and take them away from those people, take the live music venues away... They'd have to look for other uh, jobs in other industries, and those industries might not be as flexible, and those industries might already be saturated with people looking for work. So, in, 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 so in effect, you're taking an out, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, an out, uh, uh, I guess, an in for students, where 
hospitality plays such a huge role for them in their existence as students, you know, and their life. Absolutely. So, a final thought from you. What is one thing we can do to support our favourite live venues? Look, I think, if I can ask the listeners, that the one thing that they can all do is, is go and see live music right now. But, you know, venues are operating. These are great Southern Nights initiative that's been started by the government, um, which is well has been well received, and it's a great initiative, but I think it needs support. It needs people to go out and see bands. That's the whole idea behind it. So all I can do is ask people to go out and buy tickets. It still runs until the end of November. So I think it would be great if people bought tickets and went to that. That's one way. The other way would be to uh, jump on sosnewsouthwales.org and um, sign sign a letter and send it to your local MP and tell the local MP that you want live music to be supported in New South Wales and you don't want to see it um, destroyed. You know, the thing about this pandemic is it's, it's not anyone's fault. No one's blaming anyone. But it's, it's an industry, live music is an industry that's extremely precarious when it comes to having its, uh, I guess, its, uh, its tap turned off where people aren't allowed to congregate anymore. We're an industry that relies on people gathering and we're an industry that relies on people going out. Now, if that's taken away from us, it makes us extremely, um, uh, uh, I guess, sensitive to any kind of changes and it can make in the end uh, whereas you know there's other industries that can uh, convert their businesses that can change their businesses to um, survive through the pandemic you know because they can take their businesses online etc live music venues like the Oxford Art Factory dedicated venues like ours we can't change our mode of operation there's absolutely sorry Mark yeah, thank you so much for your time that's you're welcome Thank you. Uh, that was Mark Gerber talking to us about live music venues doing it tough and how we can save our stages. And that's all the time we have on the show this week. A massive thank you to our guests, Haley Foster and Mark Gerber. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Millie Roberts, Nicole Ilya Guyeva, Sana Sheikh and Vanessa Lim. We'll catch you at 9.30am next Saturday, but before we go, we've got one last song. You heard him earlier talking about how venue closures affect local artists. This is Sydney Muso, Huck Hastings, with his track, It's Alright, It's Cool. We hope you have a more than alright and cool Saturday. Bye!